I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Thank you for making us, this, if this is your first time here, thank you for making us your church this afternoon. You guys are loved. We loved you. We love you. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, before we begin, I'd like to call up my brother Augustine. Um, he's going to share a quick testimony of what the Lord has been doing in his life. So please, everyone, give a warm welcome. Augustine needs to make his way. God is so good, man. He's such a great provider. And I just wanted, I was just reflecting today on everything that he has done for me. And I never struggled to have my needs met. And uh, just when, like, when my car broke down, the old one, not the new one that I have now, it stopped right in the ramp, right off the Ohio Street, in the middle of the street. You know, and everybody was just beeping at me. And I was like, man, I, how am I going to get a new car to get to work? And God provided for that. He provided for the finances. And I was able to manage payments every month for that without any struggle. And, uh, you know, months and months later, I wanted to be in a relationship. But I said, you know what, I'm not going to have time. I'm just going to keep doing what the Lord wants me to do. But sure enough, Mandry came into the picture. And now I'm engaged to her. You know, so... <laughs> And, you know, now that I'm going to get married, I'm going to move out, I'm, I'm uh, thinking, man, how am I going to meet this budget? But I'm not even going to worry about that. Even though I applied for the CPD, I just got an email about a written exam to be put into the lotto number waiting list. So that is a big step for me. Like, that is it's no longer a dream. It's actually happening. The wheels are turning. And I'm just, like, so grateful for that. But, uh... And I just wanted to give a verse to reflect on that. It said, but seek first, it's uh, Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And it goes on to verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So as long as I just kept the goal, you know, to love God, loving people, preach his word, serve his church, take care of his sheep. Everything else was provided for me. I do not need to worry about any of that. So I just want you to encourage you to just stay on the course and just continue to serve God and continue to live in his word and obey his word and go by his way. And everything else will provide it for you as well. Um, let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for being such a great provider, Lord. You take all our worries away, Lord. It is all in your hands, Lord. And you're just a great Jehovah Jireh, Lord. I just thank you so much, Lord, that you have looked upon us, Lord, and just gave us the attention, Lord, and tell us not to worry that you're going to do it, Lord, that by your might you're going to do this, and to just keep us with a clear mind to serve you, Lord. Lord, bless this day, Lord. Let your presence be moved in here, Lord, and let it be your way today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
let's just sing Jesus be the center of your church. of your church, God, because your church is more than a building, it's more than the seats, God, but it's about the people who occupy those seats, God, you are the head of your church, Lord, and I pray that we wouldn't play religion, but we would have a deep and committed relationship with you, and you would be the center of the church, God, not all the ministries that we do, God, but we are so grateful we get to serve you. But God, be the center. Be the center of it all. Be the center of our marriages. Be the center of our lives. Be the center of our families, of our workplace, of our home life, wherever we go, God. We want you to be the center. Oh, Jesus because nothing else matters. Nothing else matters but you, Jesus. And God, forgive us for putting anything else in front of you or above you. But we just ask that you would be the center of it all today, be the center of the message, be the center of this place, God. And we want to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because it belongs to you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God is good and he is worthy to be praised. And I want to share this scripture with you as they're passing out the elements the first Sunday of the month and we honor the Lord in, in our remembrance of him. And uh, that's why we take communion. And uh, so in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and on, it says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I, I just... I'm just so in awe of what God has done for us and how we get to remember him. That we wouldn't have this, we wouldn't have this celebration of remembrance month after month if it weren't for what he had done and what he, he did on that cross. And he told them to do this even before his death and it was a hard teaching for them to understand, but it all made sense in the end. And, and we get to partake in this together and say, you know, this is the, the body that was broken, bruised, 
beaten, destroyed for me. And this is the blood that he poured out so that I could be made clean and, and whole with him. If you guys aren't right in this place, today is the day of salvation. You can give your lives to Jesus. You can say, I'm not turning back. I'm not going back. But I'm going to repent for those things. And I'm going to be made whole and clean and purified by the blood of the Lamb. And during our fellowship time, we're going to have a couple altar workers up here. And you can pray with them. You can ask them to help you get your heart right. And they want to help connect you back to Jesus. So we're going to take the elements together. And I'm just going to pray. Father God, we just thank you, God, for your, your body that was broken for us. I just pray, God, that, that we would remember that you did it for us. And we just, we just thank you, God. We honor you in Jesus' mighty name. lift up this cup to you, God, as we remember the blood that was spilled for us to make us whole, to make us new, to save us from ourselves, from our sins, from death, the devil, and the grave, God. We just thank you for eternity with you, Lord, and we praise your name in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And you can take the cup. from you. But Lord, you are good. You are good. You are good. And I pray that every person here would know of your goodness, your greatness, your love, the, and the peace that passes all understanding, Lord. We lift this time up to you, Jesus, and we thank you. Wholeheartedly, God, we thank you. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Now we're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. This is what we believe. And we recite this week after week to remind ourselves of what we believe and why we believe it. So on the count of three, if you would read this with me. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Greet your neighbor. Give somebody a high five. Tell them that you're glad to see him today.
right. Who's excited to be at church today? Come on, clap it up for Jesus. Look to your neighbor. Give them a high five. Let them know it's good to see them. We want to welcome you guys all to Metro Praise International. Especially if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. Keep on coming back. Invite your friends and family. It's so beautiful to see all of your faces this morning. Thank you for coming. Uh, our Sunday services are every week, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. That's our family service where we have King's Kids in the back for the children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. That's our Elevate Youth service for our teenagers, 11 to 18 years old. God's doing awesome things with our young people, just going after God. We want to let you guys know about our Easter service. Easter is early this year, so it's right around the corner. It's going to be our Abundant Life Sermon Series. That's going to be the message preached that Easter Sunday, March 27th at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. We're going to be having a presentation from our children. It's always a special thing. We're going to be having free family portraits for you and your family. So we really want you guys to take these flyers that have been passed out and invite your friends, invite your coworkers, invite your family. Make personal contacts with strangers. You can leave them on the bus, on the train, wherever, at restaurants. But we also want you guys to personally hand one to somebody that you don't know. Shake their hand. Tell them about Jesus and say, you got to come to Metro Praise on Easter Sunday. Are you guys with me? Let's do it together. We want the whole world to know about Jesus. We also want to let you guys know, if you haven't noticed already, do we have that slide from earlier this morning? How many of you guys noticed something new when you drove up today? Come on. Give it up for Jesus. We have our sign, Metro Praise International. It looks so amazing. And we just give God all the glory for his faithfulness and for the people that he has brought along the way to, to make something like that happen. Joe and I started the church in our apartment right on Addison and Pulaski in a small little living room with three people doing a Bible study. And just to see God's faithfulness throughout these years has, is just tremendous. And so we just give all, all glory to God. But I wanted to read this slide that Joe made last night because it, it meant so much to us. It was so powerful. It says, those who meet here are not many, but they are mighty in God. They are not known by men, but they are known at the gates of hell. They not only are willing to live for Jesus, they are willing to die. They are the disciples of Christ at MPI. Praise God. Come on. So God is doing awesome things, and we're just so thankful and grateful that you guys are a part of the journey. Amen. So here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Somebody say vision. Say strategy. Say goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that he gave to us. And our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. We want to connect you to Jesus, connect you to the church through our life groups. Powerful, powerful time for you guys to get connected to the body of Christ. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. We want to send you out to do evangelism so you can continue to reach the lost and dying of those around us. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If that gets you excited, say amen. So somebody say connect. We want to connect you to our life groups. In the, back, in the back of your handout, you'll see the schedule for this quarter. Here's a snapshot of what's happening this week. Kicking it off today, we have our singles life group, 18 to 35 years old, meeting at 4 p.m. today at that address. And this is a community of young adults who are not married, who want to get together, have fun, and live for Jesus. So if you're in that age group, you're not married, 
and you want to have fun and get together with other Christians who are living for God and being victorious in their walk with Christ and want to build friendships, you want to be at that life group, okay? Let me get a what, what? Wednesdays, we have our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old, here at the church at 6.30 every week for our little ones. And we have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club, some of the, some of the best children's workers you'll ever meet, pouring into the students, uh, to the children every week. Thursday, we have our gang outreach. You have to be 18 years and up, 7 p.m., meet them out there, preach the gospel. And then every week on Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies for you guys. One is at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house. 7 p.m. every week, 18 years and up. If you're in that age group, you should be there on Fridays. Get into the fellowship. Get into the word. Be encouraged by other believers in Christ. Amen. Then we want to mentor you. Say mentor. We have the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to take you through that one-on-one, -on -one, to encourage you, to challenge you in your walk with God, to push you forward in all that God has for you. And when you graduate the 101, you go into a 201 class. We have a 201 class on Sunday mornings with Pastor Jared or Thursday evenings with Pastor Ellie where we train you to be leaders. That's disciples that make disciples, that where your discipleship journey doesn't end, it just keeps continuing so that you can make an impact in your world for Jesus. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. We have evangelism here every Saturday from 5 to 8. They hit the streets, preach the gospel to complete strangers, letting them know that they must be born again to get to heaven. If you've never done that, I really want to encourage you to build your faith and get closer to Jesus. Go and preach the gospel. That is your training ground. If you don't know how to do it, you need help, you want somebody to come alongside of you and show you how it's done, be there with them Saturdays at 5 through 8 because Jesus, the Bible says, that he who wins souls is wise. So if you guys want to be wise, go win some souls. Amen? Come on. So in recap, our vision is loving God, loving people. We have a strategy of connect, mentor, and send. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Are you guys excited to give your tithes and offerings to the Lord this morning? Or this afternoon, rather? Let's turn our attention to the... Um, the lesson, well, I'm going to read this slide, but we're going to be in the Disciples Giving Book Lesson 10. Uh, at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income given to the church regularly. And then we designate our offerings towards missions and building. We love missions. We give towards various mission projects throughout the year. Because of everybody doing their part and being generous, we're able to make that happen. Giving Bibles overseas, materials, help planting churches at different places. God is faithful because he uses the body of Christ to continue to expand his kingdom on this earth. And currently we're in the building fund for the new band equipment. The, the stage has already been built bigger. We got the new lights. And so God is doing an awesome thing and we thank you for partnering with us. So in lesson 10 today in the Disciples Giving Book, the title is The Tithe Advances God's Kingdom. Definition of tithe, again, is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. I'm going to be reading in Malachi 3, 10 through 12. You can follow along on the screen. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be a room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't that beautiful? 
Here are the three main points that we get from that passage of scripture. Number one, the whole tithe goes to the storehouse. Say the whole tithe. Just like how the storehouse was the temple in the Old Testament, in the New Testament it is the church. So God wants his church blessed so that it can meet the needs of the community. Isn't that awesome that we as a church could get together and meet the needs of the community in this city? And just this one community, I mean, there's so, Chicago is so big. Imagine if we keep expanding how many needs can be met from, from a church. Number two, if you bless God's house, he will bless your house. Though God could give us commands without any blessings, like he could just tell us what to do because he said so, but that's not the kind of God he is, right? He is generous and loves to lavish those who give to him. So he promises to take care of us. He promises to bless us and to prosper us. But we have to be givers. We have to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust that everything else will be added onto us. And number three, God blesses a nation through his people. The church of Jesus Christ on the earth today is the answer for America and for all the nations of the earth. When the people of God are blessed, the land in which they live in is blessed. Therefore, every citizen should be a tither for the sake of their nation's prosperity. America desperately needs the church of Jesus Christ to rise up in this area and every area to live for Jesus uh, with passion and to be impactful. That is the answer for America. I mean, you, can you guys agree with me? It's not the next president. It's not the next politician. It's Jesus and it's his church on this earth. So let's do our part. Here's a summary. Giving to God advances his kingdom in our personal lives in the church, and the nation in which we live. Let's apply this in two ways. Number one, give your whole tithe cheerfully to God's storehouse, his church, so that you can be a vessel of God's blessing. How many vessels of God's blessing do I have? Come on. Remember what God gives to you. He wants it to go through you. And number two, pray for your nation to repent of greed and disobedience and for everyone to become faithful in their tithes. Stats show that if all the Christians would tithe, we could end world hunger, give every person clean water, and have a gospel-preaching church for all unreached people groups. Isn't that powerful? It's the church of Jesus. Let's confess this on the count of three together. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and it's still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. If you love that, and if that is you this morning, please stand up to your feet this afternoon, rather, and let's prepare to give God our best because he is worthy of it. This is an extension of our act of worship unto him. Tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. Again, offerings are designated towards missions and building, and that is an amount between you and the Lord. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, and the offering amount is whatever the Lord tells you to give. We just pray that our hearts are always generous. Amen. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry today, uh, today for that if you have any questions. And number four, you can go online uh, and pay with Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very easy and convenient. Let's recite this together. Oh, really quick, new band equipment. Give it up for Jesus and yourselves. $4,122 raised thus far 
for this new band equipment. God is moving. You guys are being generous and faithful to the Lord, obedient to the Lord. So that leaves us with $6,998. We know God's going to do it. We're going to rally together and get that done. We're going to see God do so many amazing things. If you haven't joined us on that building fund journey, we want you to, number one, pray. Ask God what you should give. Number two, listen to what he says and then do it. And three, give and give generously. Who's with me? Come on, let's recite this together. Philippians 4:18, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your blessings, God. We thank you that you are faithful. We follow in your example that, uh, of that faithfulness. We give you our tithe and our offering this morning. I pray that you would multiply it, that you would use it for your glory. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst, God, and how you're expanding um, your, your kingdom in Chicago. I pray that you would bless the gift and the giver. I pray that you bless and prosper your people on their jobs. Give them promotions and raises and open doors of employment. I pray that your goodness and mercy follows them all the days of their life. I pray that your light would shine on them, God. I pray that they would continue to be faithful, be uh, cheerful givers and givers generously, Lord. And we thank you for your power that is so at work in us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give. And we thank you so much for your support and your generosity. are excited can I get an amen Woo! let's do it hey I want to ask you guys for a special favor welcome to Metro Praise International today this is what I want us to do as we're building up for Easter okay I want you guys to Facebook me the friends and family that you want me to pray for so that we can pack out this place the last Sunday of the month okay so I want you to think about three people that you are going to pray for and invite 
coworkers, friends, family, neighbors, anybody you want to see come to this church and give their heart to Jesus. Because this whole sermon series, The Abundant Life, is to go to you and through you. And what I want to do each time we come up before Easter is pray for those three people and then sing an old school hymn and get excited about Jesus. So are you guys ready? Okay, so we're going to think about three people that we want to see come to Jesus this Easter. Literally, come sit in these chairs and fill it up. Okay, let's just bow our heads and do that now. Lord, show us in our life who we can pray for this week, begin to reach out to, to minister. Lord, show us in our heart right now. Rachel, would you come back to the keyboard, please? Let's just take a few moments to do that. Lord, who would you put on our hearts right now? Start with three. Who are three people that come to your hearts? Now, when you get those, just start to pray out their names. And then if you could this week, remember to Facebook me. Because I want to pray with you for those friends and family as well. Jesus, I lift up to you our friends, our families, our family members, our coworkers, those who we know don't know you or are not living for you. And, Lord, we want to invite them to come. So, Lord, we're going to ask for your courage to give them a flyer. We're asking for the opportunity to strike up the conversation. Lord, because our fear shouldn't prevent someone from accepting you. It's more important than that. So not let our fears, our shyness get in the way of us inviting people to come at probably what is the biggest Sunday, most important Sunday of the year our chance to invite our friends to remember your death, burial, and resurrection. Just a few more moments. Pray for them right now by name. Lift their names up. Lord, I lift up to you Steve and Michelle. I pray that they'll come with their daughters. I pray that Ashta and Vivek will come with their family, God. I pray that Arnold and Will will come. No excuses. No excuses, Lord. I pray their hearts will seek after you. And we take our authority against Satan. Satan, we rebuke you. We come against your lies, your distractions, the temptations, the things you bring against them, and we command you to loose and let go of their lives and let the doors of their heart be open so that Jesus can come in. Because Jesus is Lord of all. It's in his name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, how many believe that that's going to happen? How many believe that's going to that's happen? I believe that. That's how you came here, right? Somebody prayed for you. Somebody invited you. You found us online. You saw the sign. You saw something. And that's what we're doing now. Do you know that Jerry, who's now one of our pastors, found the flyer next to the bar she was working at, working at and now she's here. She, went, she got saved. She gave her heart to Jesus, went to Bible college. She's a pastor. Isn't that amazing? And the stories are endless like that. And God will do it for you, through you, and for the people you love. So let's stand up now. We're going to sing an old school hymn. Thank you, Rachel. Because I want to build our faith to think about what we can do for Jesus. So would you put that up for me, Jose? 
And as we sing this old one, this was written by Charles Wesley during the time of the Methodist revivals in the 1700s, uh, six, late 1600s and 1700s. And it's uh, oh for a thousand tongues to sing. Would you guys sing with me? Now, by the way, let me just say this. I can't sing with anything. So if you hear me <laughs> singing up here, you better be singing out there, okay? Because I want us to build our faith by just singing these old school songs. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. If you believe it, can you say amen? Come on. You may be seated. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 10 is the sermon series scripture for this whole month, and it's about the abundant life. Can I hear you say the abundant life? Thank you. Now, the abundant life is the kind of life that God gives us, and so you'll be looking at uh, the screen with me. My notes are always online at mpichurch.org. You can look under recent sermons, and you'll see the notes there. And then once they get added up on the video, you'll also be able to see um, the, the video from YouTube that we do that, so you can always keep up with us. And so, brother, if you could just let me do it, I appreciate it. Thank you. And so if you ever forget what the website is, just look in the back right there by the sound booth, those gentlemen back there. Let's give it up for them working today. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. So here we go. Let's go to John chapter 10, verse 10. As we start this new sermon series, you can look at your translation. I'm using the Amplified. The Amplified is a version of the Bible that adds more adjectives to the translation in English to help give the colorful language of the Greek language, which is what, what is originally written in. Uh, the Greek language is a lot more colorful than the English language. For example, we say, I love a hamburger. I love my bros. I love my wife. We use the one word love. They have about four to five different words for love. And you see, we have to look at the Bible in the lens of those Greek speakers. And so as you hear Jesus talking, listen to the depth of his words. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Come on, somebody say abundant life. Thank you. So the thief comes only to do what? Steal and destroy. Jesus came that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. And so what I want to do is the introduction to this series is teach everybody the difference between the thief and the Son of God. And that's important that we know the difference between the thief and the Son of God is because the devil, that thief, is like a bully on the playground. He'll trip somebody and then he'll move out the way, turn his back, and he'll point to another kid and say, that's the one that tripped you, it wasn't me. And so often, if we don't know who the devil is and what he's doing, we'll blame our problems on God. 
Oftentimes you'll hear people say, if there's a God, why is there so much evil? And I have to go, because there's a thief. But you see, the thief has convinced them that it's God's fault. Or somebody would say, if there was a God, why would he allow me to be born into this family where I've been abused or hurt? And then they turn their back on God. But once again, we need to remind them, hello, there's a thief. So let me start off this Abundant Life series by teaching you the difference between the thief and the Son of God. Well, the first thing that we learn is that the thief is the person we know as Satan, the devil, that fallen angel. He was created to worship and glorify God. As a free will spirit being, he made a choice to put himself before God. He then fell like lightning from the earth, uh, from heaven to earth, and then he was given the chance to tempt mankind. He wasn't always the devil, Satan, the deceiver. He was once known as the morning star or Lucifer, the angel of bright light. But now he is not that. And the third of the angels that he had uh, deceived with him to come have become those evil spirits and those demons. Now, what is their assignment upon this earth? What do they do? They steal. And we see this right at the beginning. The first time we see Satan there uh, possessing a snake, speaking through the snake, he is there to steal the garden from Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them the garden. And the garden was kept by God under the covenant of obedience. So if, the, if Adam and Eve were to be obedient, they would keep the garden. But the devil came to get them to be disobedient. And by them being disobedient, he stole from them the garden. But that wasn't the worst thing that he stole from them. He stole from them their relationship with God. Adam and Eve were created naked. They were covered in the glory of God. Just as I've used as an example here, these lights, when they're bright, especially this spotlight, you can't see any of the writing, GE or the wattage, because the light shines through the glass so bright you don't see the glass itself. Adam and Eve didn't even know they were naked because the glory of God in them shone around them. The most important thing to them was the spiritual life of God, not their flesh. But when the devil came and tempted them, he tempted them to disobey God, knowing that if they broke the covenant, they would lose the garden, he would get the authority, and not only that, they would lose the relationship with God. And the moment they sinned, they realized they were naked, the light went off on the inside of them, they ran to hide and cover themselves as God came into the garden. Then God asked them, who told you that you sinned? Why are you so afraid? And this gives us the insight. God never asks a question that he doesn't have the answer to. The question is for our benefit. And the answer is simple. How did they know they sinned? How did they feel their shame? How did they know they were naked? It wasn't just from the devil anymore. Now it was from their conscience that had been seared. Their mindset had now changed from being naked in the glory of God, enjoying fellowship with the Father in the garden and lying, laying down with lamb and then being vegetarians to all all of a sudden, the world being thrown into chaos, the devil stealing their purpose and stealing their relationship with God. Now, some people have asked me, why do I think the devil was allowed to do that? Well, mankind was given a choice, and so the choice was for them to follow God or to go to a tree of knowledge and good and evil. This uh, Satan, the serpent, was at the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If they never would have been there, desired the fruit, they never would have had the temptation. So it was their choice to leave out of all the other uh, plants they could eat and to be by that tree. And so it was a choice for them. Somebody say a choice. And then somebody may say, well, what benefit does God have in allowing the devil to continue to exist? Why doesn't God just destroy the devil right now? I believe God uses the devil for his good so that we can see darkness and, and appreciate light. 
so that we can see the penalty of our sin. And so you could see the whole world as a time of a testing ground, as, that, as David would say, that shadow of death that you walk through. But if you look for God in this shadow of death, he will be with you and his rod and staff will comfort you. And so if you're in this world and you see all the darkness, you'll cry out for light. Think about that. You see a person in pain and, and they're dying of a horrible cancerous death. What do you say? God spare us from this world. It's full of evil. You hear of gangs and one another, them killing one another. You cry out for God's peace. So if someone in this world, as terrible as it is, doesn't reach out for more and say, God, I want you, then when they die, they'll suffer in hell. Why? Because they have found contentment in a world of darkness and shame. And what is hell? It's a place where God is not. And so if here, where you see what it's like for God, uh, good and evil to do all together, if you're still not sure what you want, then hell will be your place. But if you're here today and you're disgusted by evil, and how many of you are disgusted by evil, you'll cry out for God and salvation and for heaven to come to earth. So that's why I think God allows this test to continue in humanity. So the thief, known as the devil, Satan, his first thing is to what? He does what? Thank you, he steals. And how did he do that from the very beginning? Robbed our relationship with God and took the garden from us. And now he's stealing our purposes, our dreams, our families, and all of those things that God has given us. But he doesn't just stop there. You know, as my mother said to me when I came to Jesus, I was 18 years old. I was a high school dropout. My mother said, the devil wasn't happy just stealing your, your life, Joe, taking away, you know, your purpose. He wanted to kill you and destroy it. And that is actually what brought me to Christ was all the devil's work on me. See, the devil was working overtime on me and what he meant for evil. God was turning for good because he was saying, if I can get Joe to puke after being drunk, maybe he'll stop wanting to be drunk. So he allowed me to abuse those things to see where it leads. Maybe if Joe goes to the clinic because he caught an STD, maybe he'll stop living in illicit sex. You see, God uses the wickedness of this world to bring us to him. So by the time I was 18 years old, I thought I was losing my mind. I had been... In and out of jail, I had lost so many friends and all of these things. And so when my mother told me the simple gospel message, I was like, hey, I might as well humble myself and believe this because I'm tore up from the floor up, needing a check up from the neck up. Are you with me? Now, some of you may say, Pastor, I wasn't that bad when I came to Jesus. You see, when I came to Jesus, Pastor, I was a good sinner. I was a good sinner. I wasn't stealing nothing. Now, you may believe you were a good sinner, but the thing is you were the worst kind of sinner, a prideful sinner, a self-righteous sinner. See, at least I knew I was a dirty, rotten sinner. Hello, somebody. But you see, it's the killing of our purposes and our dreams and our plans that the devil wants to do because he has his purposes and plans destroyed. And now somebody may ask, well, what does he get out of that? Here's what I think. It doesn't have it in the Bible, so it's my opinion. I always like to let you know when it's my opinion. My opinion to why the devil does this and does it with enjoyment is because on Judgment Day, there'll be such a great vast amount of people who have turned their backs on God along with him and his fallen angels that then he can cry out for mercy and say, don't judge us. Look, look, Jesus, look how many of your creation you've lost. And then maybe at that point, God will say, let me give you another chance. But sadly, my friends, there'll be no other chance. And if you want to know God's track record with judgment, look to Noah. Noah was on a, a earth with probably only about 10 million, uh, probably about 10 million people, and only eight of them were spared from the flood. So God has no problem judging the entire world and saving only a few. And that's why Jesus said the way of destruction is wide, but the, the gate to everlasting life is narrow. Are you listening? So no matter how desperate the devil is to stage a coup against God, it will not work. But this is still his mandate. He is a liar. He is self-deceived. And he thinks by doing this, he'll fulfill maybe some purpose. But my friends, don't get caught up in his 
death because his death is not only an earthly death. Watch this. Now our bodies die. They never would have died in the Garden of Eden because they were meant to live forever. But now they die. But that's only the first death. The Bible talks about a second death of the soul, an eternal lake of fire. Starts off in hell. Then after judgment, hell gets thrown into the lake of fire. What's in heaven comes down to earth. So your final resting place is not heaven. Heaven comes down to earth after judgment. The new earth is created. Hell is not the final place of judgment. Hell is there only temporarily like the county jail until God judges the earth and then he sends it to the lake of fire. Are you with me? The lake of fire is known as the second death. Hell, for those who don't know Christ, is that first death. The second one is the lake of fire in eternity without hope. Now listen to me. The devil not only wants to kill your body, not only wants to destroy your mind, um, to, to kill the hopes that you have, but he wants to kill your chance at eternal life. He does not want you to have a different faith than him because he's jealous of the children of God who get to live eternally with God. And if that wasn't enough, he doesn't just want to steal, kill. The Bible says that he wants to destroy. And so that means ultimately his plan for humanity is destruction. Now, at this point, some of you may say, Pastor, I get it. The devil's a bad person. But you know what? I don't, I don't really believe that a lot of people are believing these kinds of things or they're headed for destruction. But that's not true if you're going to be honest with yourself. Let me give you two examples. Can I talk about Miley Cyrus and Oprah Winfrey? Can I do that? I'm going to show you both of them are headed to destruction unless they repent. And the problem isn't that uh, it's so obvious. The problem is that it's so subtle, okay, because these are the ways the devil lies in our generation. So look at Miley Cyrus. She's brought up as a young girl, you know, maybe a Christian background with her dad. And she makes music, cool TV shows. And, and all of a sudden, she takes this turn, and she starts doing drugs and making vulgar videos and all of this. Well, at this point, you can probably obviously go, hey, that's pretty much the stuff the Bible says not to do. You know, Bible says don't be naked, don't be perverse, uh, don't do drugs. How many understand that Miley Cyrus-type behavior is not going to get you in heaven, right? And uh, like three of you are raising your hands. Can I go off from my notes and preach to you out the Bible a little bit then? Uh, okay, let me just help you guys understand that behavior is easily recognized as damnable in the Bible. Okay, so you go to Galatians chapter 5, start in verse 19. I'm going fast because this is just the introduction. I got a message to preach, y'all. I got to get you the introduction first, right? So the Bible says here that in verse 19 that the acts of the flesh are obvious. So it's obvious when people don't live by the spiritual life. That's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. How many know that's just an MTV music video or YouTube video of Miley Cyrus, right? It's obvious, okay? So idolatry, witchcraft, etc., orgies, drunkenness. Yes, the Bible does say orgies, and that's something. As I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Is it obvious Miley Cyrus's behavior, if she does not repent, she won't inherit the kingdom of God? By her behavior, I'm not judging her soul, I'm not judging her intent, I'm judging the behavior, I'm judging her by her fruit, as the Bible says. Are you guys with me? Okay. But Oprah Winfrey's a different story, right? Oprah Winfrey's not having orgies. Oprah Winfrey's not walking around naked. Oprah Winfrey's not getting drunk and doing drugs. But what's the problem with the Oprah Winfrey mindset? There's another way to God. There's another form of spirituality. If you watch your live classes, as I do, to stay informed on what our culture is believing into, her live classes teach that you have a God within you, that you are God within, and that by following different religions, striking the crooked pose of, uh, let me say, the crooked chicken pose of yoga, you can discover it, and you can take from the buffet of religion a little Jesus, a little Buddha, a little Muhammad, and mix it all together, and that's a way to God. There's many ways to God. Are you with me. How many have ever seen the video where she says there's many ways to God? 
about four or five of you. If you wanted me to send it to you, uh, ask me on Facebook, and I'll show it to you. But here's the problem. The Bible says you cannot inherit the kingdom of God if you are what? An idolater. And what is an idolater? Somebody who just worships Buddha? No, it's somebody that puts something before God. Now, let me go back to the message here. The devil wants to destroy humanity by convincing us that we don't need God, that we can be our own God. How does Miley Cyrus live it out? By being her own God. How does she do that? By being perverse, lascivious, wild, partying. How does Oprah Winfrey do it? Subtly. By making her own wisdom, her own knowledge, her own decision. Are you with me? And I could be naming name after name. Bill Gates uh, has, says he has more things to do on Sunday than go to church because he's become his own God. He's, in a, he's an idolater. He is subtly on the path of destruction, and he knows it not. And so my concern isn't as a pastor that you guys are going to all follow Miley Cyrus. My concern is that you're going to follow Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates. Hello. Because you may think in this world you're not headed towards destruction. And a great example of this kind of a deception is just imagine the pilots who fly through clouds. Okay, I, I want to be a pilot one day. It's a little little dream, a little private pilot. Let's just do this stuff for fun, right? You know. And, and here's the thing, and I listen to them, and I t hear them talk. Well, one pilot, I think this was Dr. Phil, actually. Yeah, it was Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil was talking about this, and it just makes so much sense because I've heard it from other pilots. When you get in a storm cloud, when you are in a storm cloud, you cannot tell if you're banking left or you're banking right. And if the clouds are moving at an angle, if a wind is pushing them like this, you will actually think that you are banking and turning when you are not. And so what you have to do is look directly at your controls. You cannot look outside, and you have to know where that says your altitude is and what way you're turning. Are you guys with me? And the problem is, is that if you think you can now take it off of those controls that they have and start trying to steer it yourself, you will crash. And that is a perfect example about what's happening. See, people think that right now they're turning, they're making right decisions. Look at me, I've made so much money, everybody likes me, they buy my books, I'm spiritual, I'm happy, I'm engaged to Stedman, Bill Gates, he's a humanitarian. But the devil says, I got you. I got you. I got you. You're not with Christ. I have stolen the mind of God from you. I have killed God's purpose in your life. You are an idolater worshiping yourself, and I'm going to destroy you and the people following you. That's what Jesus said. Look at what the Bible says. It's not my words. Remember Jesus. Can we all believe Jesus? He said, this is what the thief comes to do. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it as a liar. Look at Adam and Eve. He lied to them. He said they would become like God. No, they did not become like God. They became worse than human. They became inhuman in many ways. Their children murdered each other, right? They, he promised them a bliss, but they didn't have bliss. They ended up having hell on earth. And now, ultimately, if we die without Christ, we will suffer a second death, and that will be eternity in hell. But how many know the devil is bad? Mui mal, amen? But how many want to know about the Son of God? See, he said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I came, the Son of God came to give life, to give us an enjoyable life, and to supply an abundant life. These three things. Now, I want to start off by saying this. When people look at the Bible and they hear these words like abundant life, enjoyable life, a full life, they instantly start thinking to themselves an American dream kind of life. But that's not true. God is not promising us here a life without struggle, a life without problems. As a matter of fact, he 
he says, be of good cheer. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. He tells us very honestly, you'll be hated by many. You'll be persecuted. And so this is what I want to help you guys to understand when abundant life is. Jesus' definition of an abundant life is an inner peace, an inner relationship with God that lasts in the midst of the storms, that transforms the inside, even when the outside is going to hell in a handbasket. And when you look at the Bible, when you look at the Bible, you see that some of the people who suffered the most had the greatest joys. Now, you may say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe it. Can I show you with Jesus? Let me just show you with Jesus. Turn in your Bibles quickly to Hebrews chapter 12. Do you think anybody suffered more than Jesus? No, he was betrayed, he was crucified, he was whipped, he was beaten. So look at the Son of God being treated like this, suffering this way. But watch this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, verse 2, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the what? For the what? The joy, thank you, set before him. He what? Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus endure crown of thorns, the joy of the Lord. How did Jesus endure 39 lashes to his back? The joy of the Lord. How did Jesus endure being betrayed? The joy of the Lord. How did Jesus endure the sins of the world being placed upon his soul? The Father forsaking him, three in the afternoon, and it all going pitch black. How did he endure that? The Bible says the what? The joy set before him. So why is it some of you lose your job and you stop coming to church? Hello, why is it some of you stub your toe and you take the name of the Lord in vain? Hello, you see, we get into problems and we instantly turn our back on God and then we shake our fist at him instead of in the midst of our problems having the joy of the Lord and getting through them. So you say, you say, Pastor, I've got problems. Well, let me tell you, you need the presence of God then. The Bible says that in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. So for all of our problems, what should we be seeking? We should be seeking the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is able to change your circumstance and situation starting with your inner life, inner life. This is what David said. Listen to David. You have made known to me the path of what? And today we're talking about abundant life. Today's sermon is new life. You will fill me with what? Joy when I win the lottery? You will, how many know rich people that ain't happy? More money, more problems. How many know educated people that aren't happy? So why are we running after the same things they've already got and they ain't happy? Hello? You think you're going to get more money and be happy. Look at Robin Williams. He had more money than you, and he wasn't happy. He killed himself. You think you're going to be more educated and make yourself happy. Look at educated people that don't have a good life. Education, money, those things may be fine, but they cannot be the source of joy. Don't run after the dead end, which people have already gone to. Don't follow in the path of the fool. Look where the fool has already gone. And be like Mr. T and pity the fool. Amen? You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So when I talk about God giving life, I'm not talking about God giving me a raise, though that could happen. I'm not talking about God making me a millionaire, though that could happen. What I'm talking about is God giving me his presence. It's his presence that will keep me when I'm not a millionaire, and it will keep me in my right mind if I'm a millionaire. It's the joy of his presence that will have me be happy when I come to church and everybody's here, and it's the joy of his presence that will have me be happy if nobody comes here. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. You ever heard that in the Bible? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord will be your strength because the joy of the Lord is not dependent upon a person or a thing. It's dependent upon the presence of God. So you say you got problems, you better get God's presence. 
You better get God's presence. That's why I look around the world. If you want me to take your prayer request of your pity patty party, I will. But I'll take it to Pakistan to my brothers right now who are suffering, suffering martyrdom under a Muslim regime. And they'll pray for your stub toenail with the joy of the Lord. I've been to India, I've been to Nepal, I've been to the villages of Mexico, and I have watched some of the most downcast, oppressed people praise God anyhow because they understand that the blessing is in God, and God doesn't change. Governments may change, friends may change, finances may change, God doesn't change. That's the Bible. Jesus said, I came to give you that kind of life. The word life there is zoe. It's a Greek word. Remember we talked about the colorful language of the Greek language there. It's not just talking about breathing oxygen kind of life. The life that God gives you is a God kind of life, a different kind of life, a life that is not just based on money, not just on circumstances, popularity. It's based on an inner relationship with who God is. Now, can I blow your mind? Jesus is telling you this in the Gospel of John, is he not? He's telling you this, John 10, 10, everybody look at your Bible. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. Can I tell you how we got life in the book of Genesis? The Bible says that God came and what? <sighs> breathed into us. We became a living soul, did we not? Who do you think breathed into us? Jesus. Everybody knows that God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So was it the Father or was it the Spirit or was it the Son? Who breathed into us? The Son. Watch this. In the beginning was the Word, the Son of God. And the Son of God, the Word, was with the Father, God the Father. And the Word, the Son of God, was God like the Father. He, Jesus, was with God the Father in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing has been made that has been made. Now watch this. In Him. In who? Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So who started this whole thing off we call life? Who? What's His name? Man came alive, but then the devil came, stole our life, did he not? Stole our garden, stole our relationship with God, and now Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. Are you even ready for this? Come on. Comes back down. Look at John 1.18, and I'll get back to John 10.10 10 and keep preaching this introduction. Look at John 1.18. It says that he comes in the flesh to be with us. I'm, I'm losing my connection here, but I'll just tell it to you. It says that no one has ever seen God the Father at any time. But God, the Son, who is himself equal to the Father, has come and made him known. It says literally that he came and tabernacled, pitched his tent alongside of us and was made flesh. Jesus came to be made flesh. Are you guys tracking with me? Now watch this. He's now here with us in flesh, the word who breathed into us 6,000 years ago. And now he says to them, I have come to give you life. I've come to give you everything the devil stole from you. I've come to give you back the God kind of life. Why do you think at the end of John he breathes into them? Have you guys ever seen the end of John? Oh, y'all haven't seen it? Go back, to, go to John chapter 21 before I break this computer. Open up your Bibles there with me quickly, please. I've got to pray for patience. Lord, touch this computer. How did we get the breath? How did Jesus make us living beings? What did he do? He breathed into us, right? We lost our spiritual life. The devil took it from us. Now Jesus says, I have come to give it to you. Does he not? I've come to give you life. Are you guys with me? Okay. Are you even touching anything back there? This thing is acting wacky. Go to John 21. Whoever has a Bible, go to John 21 with me quickly. And then I'm going to read it for you. This is why pastors can't be relying on technology. Amen. As I go to my phone now. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Watch this right here. 
Come on, John 21. Let's work and twerk the word. Somebody say, work it. Come on, somebody say, twerk it. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if I want to say that. I have redefined twerking. I have taken it away from Miley Cyrus. It means to be happy about Jesus. That's what I mean it to mean. Now watch this right here. Here is Jesus, John, at the end of John. And then this is what he says to them. He breathes into them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Let me get here. Where are we at, John? Let me, and uh, all of this confusion, I might have confused myself. Give me just a second here. Here we go. Has you, somebody found it? John 20, thank you, got real hot up here real fast. Look at it here. Look at the book of John. In the beginning, God created us male and female. He breathed into us, did he not? We then lost our relationship with God. Are you guys with me? Okay. He then says in John 10.10, 10, this is the same book. Somebody say the same book. In the book of John, it tells us in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. But we lost that life, did we not, when we sinned? Now John chapter 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You guys have been messed up, but he says, I've come that you may have life. Now look at the end of John when he has raised from the dead. And with that, he breathed on them and said, you see, Jesus came to give us life. That is so important to see in the book of John. The breath that we lost when we were sinners, Jesus gives us back. That's why the book of John talks about the new birth. He had to die and rise again for us to have the rebirth. Look at John chapter 3. Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. Nicodemus asks, how can you be born again? Then Jesus teaches it right here. Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to they were born again that moment Jesus breathed onto them. From that point forward, the Holy Spirit had been, re, uh, from this point, from that point forward, the Holy Spirit has been regenerating believers. Go back to the message, please. Look at it. It's very simple. Let's not be confused through the loss of technology. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life. He's given that life again, hasn't he, by the Holy Spirit. That is a life that he purchased by dying and raising again, dying on the cross for our sins. The next thing that he says is that this kind of life is not just going to be an ordinary life. It's going to be a life full of immense inner joy and pleasure. Now quickly learn, uh, turn with me to Romans, 10, uh, Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, 17. And see here what Jesus said through Paul was the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Let's be honest, how many like to eat and drink? Pretty much every party you go to is going to be about eating and drinking, is it not? And then some people will be like, and dancing, a little bachata, a little merengue, a little, you know what I'm saying? That's a good party. So we could probably say the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, and dancing, right? So the most fun we think we're going to have is when we're eating and drinking. Just think about it. you got your family together. You're eating, you're drinking, you're having fun. God says, that's nothing in comparison to what my kingdom is. My kingdom is righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the what? The Holy Spirit. When did Jesus give the Holy Spirit to the disciples? When he what? Breathed on them. When did man at creation get the Holy Spirit? When he breathed on him. See, without Christ, you cannot have the breath of God restored to you. 
You have an earthly life, but if you do not repent, that life will perish. It will die, will it not? It will go into the grave. Every one of us dies, and then our soul will suffer forever in eternal life. So we all need mouth-to-mouth resuscitation in one sense. We need the Spirit of God to breathe in us again and make us alive lest we perish. Does everybody get that? Lest we perish, okay? So, Jesus came to give us life by the cross. He gives us the Zoe life. He restores to us all that the devil has taken from us. And not only that, now he wants to give us an abundant life, a life that is overflowing and lacking no good thing. And the sad part is, now everybody look up at me, please. I love you guys. And the sad part about this is, is that the moment you hear me talk about abundant life, and I've been there, you start thinking about abundant things, right? I say abundant life, you think abundant things. I say God wants to bless you abundantly, you think God wants to bless you with a Bentley, right? I kind of rhyme in there. Uh, you know, we just start thinking abundant things. Abundant, well, that's, that's part of my life, so that means God wants that. No, that's not necessarily true. Do you remember reading in the Bible about Christians being stoned, Christians being crucified? But were they living abundant lives? Yes, they were. They were living abundant lives. One of the recent martyrs was going to Central America, and he was getting speared to death, and uh, he was a, a great Christian. And before this happened, he had a sense in his heart that he may die because these villagers were very dangerous. They were headhunters. They were cannibals. It's, it's in the movie Beyond the Spear, at the end of the spear, rather. And you know what he wrote in his journal? He said, I hope not to have a long life, but a full life. A full life. See, a full life is a life that God fills with his goodness. A long life could be empty with a hole in your bucket because everything you put in keeps dripping out. But if you have a full life, it's filled with God kind of things. It's filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and and gentleness, and self-control, and all of these wonderful things. Just look with me in the Bible, Ephesians. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us how we get this life, how do we get this abundant life. Starting in verse 3, we see that God blesses us when we get saved with every spiritual blessing. Look, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. So how many blessings in Christ do I have today? Every one. Am I lacking any spiritual blessing in Christ? That's why the psalmist could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not Want Now, somebody say, Pastor, I want a whole lot of things. What are you talking about, Jack? Hello, let's take the Bible serious now, and some of you may see the contradiction. Look at it. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And somebody's going here, hey, the Lord is my shepherd, and I want a lot of stuff. Is that a contradiction? Is one lying? No, the wants are a different kind of wants, aren't they? The wants that David said, I want not. He says, what he's saying is, I want no more love. I have found my true love. I want no more uh, loyalty or companionship or, or approval of men. I have found my loyalty and approval from God. I, I want no more, no more of sinful pleasures and delights. I have found the greatest delight, the greatest pleasure in God. So what he is saying is not that he couldn't look at the world and say, I want more of these things. What he was saying is all that my soul needs, I want no longer. I have been filled with the fullness of God. See, is your soul filled with God and you say, I want no more, or are you still hungry after the things of this world? You see, think about that. If you went to your mom's house for one of these holidays coming up, uh, you know, like Easter, and you're eating her food, and I'm eating my mom's lasagna and and shrimp scampi and, and all of these wonderful things, if I truly enjoy that, I will be full and want no more. 
But if I, after eating that, came to uh, drive by McDonald's and I said, oh, man, I want some McDonald's, the problem isn't that uh, McDonald's is bad necessarily in that sense. The problem is I didn't fill myself up at my mother's house, right? Think about that. Think about that. And so the problem isn't that you, that th those of you here are going to ever stop desiring sex outside of marriage. Your body may desire sex outside of marriage until you go to heaven to be with Jesus. But the idea is you fill up your sexuality with God so much that it no longer has a hunger in your heart. Some of you here may get hurt in life and genuinely have to deal with unforgiveness, and that will be a very real temptation. That temptation may never go away, but the wanting to fulfill that temptation will go away because Jesus heals the broken pieces of your life so much that you know there's nothing valuable there for you anymore. Are you listening? You see, the kind of blessing that God gives us is a spiritual overflowing blessing, a blessing that lacks no good things. See, turn with me to 2 Peter these men understood these things. Even while they were in jail suffering for their faith, they're saying, I want no good thing. God has given me all that I need. I'm blessed in heavenly realms because they knew the life of God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given me some things I need for a godly life. Is that what it says? It says I need his godly power has given me some things. How much has his godly power given me? Everything we need for a godly life. Are you lacking anything you need today for a godly life? You may be lacking some things you need for a pimped out life, according to the world. You may be lacking some things that you need for a millionaire's life. Hello? Are you lacking anything for a godly life? Are you lacking any spiritual blessings? No, you're not. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And look at the kind of life he gives us. As I said before, we were not only inhuman, but we were living li literally like demons and devils when we turned our back on God and sided with Satan. That's why his brother murdered himself. That's uh, murdered his brother. Cain murdered Abel. That's demonic. That was a lie. See, see, God came to Cain at the very beginning and said, Cain, Satan wishes to have mastery over you. This sin wishes to overtake you. Do what's right and you will receive approval. See, it was demonic lies, thievery, destruction at its worst, right? But now through Jesus Christ, we get what we lost in the garden to come back. You could say the garden was lost through Adam and Eve, and it was restored through Jesus Christ. See, through these great and precious promises, that through them you may participate in what nature? In the, in the, the divine nature. In what kind of nature? What nature are you to participate in? A demonic nature? A sinful nature? A fleshly nature? What kind of nature? Who has a divine nature? Jesus, and he's sharing it with you. Are you divine? Are you godly? I'm asking you, are you godly, yes or no? Have you shared in Christ's divine nature? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And if you do, you will escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. Does everybody see that in the scripture? When we look at the Bible, we see clearly that Jesus says he has come to give us life. Here's a theologian out of the ESV study Bible that uh, says it concisely, maybe not as wordy as your pastor. So let's see if this will help you. Jesus' promise of abundant life, which begins already in the here and now, brings to mind Old Testament prophecies about abundant blessing found in Ezekiel 34. Jesus calls his followers not to a gloomy, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God in continual fellowship with his people. 
So the question is today, look at it before I start to preach at you. I need to ask if you believe this. Do you believe that Jesus came to give you an abundant life? Do you? If you are suffering today and not having an abundant life, the thief is messing with you then, is he not? This is not God's best for you. Think about it. If you're suffering sorrow today, who has brought that sorrow upon you? Who? The devil. Even if it's as natural as somebody dying in your family from, from a natural cause, the idea that the world is full of pain comes from where? The devil, the thief. So today, get it, get it straight. Don't let the devil be that bully that slaps you and then points to God and says, that's why you were abused. That's why there's children sick in the world. That's why there's corruption in politics. And he points to God and says, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. No, you need to tell the devil, say, it's your fault, Satan. You're a liar. You're a thief. You've come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came, died on the cross to restore back to me the life that we lost according to your own lies. See, I'm not giving up my life to the devil's lies anymore. We have the word of God presented before us to know how we've already fallen as humanity for his lies. Why should we believe them now? We see the dead ends of where his lies lead. They lead to death, destruction, to thievery. Can I hear an amen? Now, how many are ready for the message? Can I get an amen? Okay, now what I have to show with you is two charts, and then I want to show with you uh, 14 scriptures. Are you guys ready? <laughs> we'll see. I didn't get to all the scriptures in the first service. Now, let me show this to you. See, what I just preached to you is called the salvation message. That is that you were born a sinner under the curse of Adam and Eve because the devil lied to them, stole from them, destroyed them. And Jesus came to give you new life, to be born again, to be saved. Does everybody hear that? Did you hear that today? Jesus came to give you life. That's called salvation. You're saved from the thief. You know, somebody says to me, Joe, you know, when Christians say they're saved, what are they saved from? You're saved from death, hell, the devil, bad stuff. That's what it means. From yourself, you're saved. So I have told you the salvation message. I've asked you if you believe it. And most of you said, I believe it. How many believe it? Amen? Okay, now watch. My question is, do you believe a false belief called progressive salvation, or do you believe the biblical definition of complete salvation? Now let me just give you the example. Progressive salvation is likened unto that progress bar that you have when you download something from the Internet. I don't know if you remember AOL and dial-up and you had to wait for things and you were waiting for 55%, 80%, or if you're downloading something now from the Internet, or like when you're watching Netflix and it stops and that thing starts spinning. How many know what I'm talking about when I say a progress bar? Now, there are people that believe that is what salvation is, that when you came to Jesus, you came to Jesus as a zero, nothing. And then you started downloading salvation. When you started coming to church, you started downloading it. When you started reading your Bible, you started downloading it. And so if you've been coming to church for about a week or a month or so, you're probably about 10% Christian now. you still got 90% of the devil and the world and the thief going on in your life. But uh, hey, at least I got 10% of Jesus in me, Pastor. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, if I keep coming to church, keep reading my Bible, keep doing religious things, I'll get 20% saved. And oops, I cussed, so I must go back to 10% saved. And then all of a sudden, if you're really religious and you wear weird clothes and, you know, do weird things, and now you're 34, 50%, 50, you know, 60%, and you get this mindset, 
that I'm really not always, I'm not really at any time 100% saved. I'm not really who God wants me to be. God is working on me. And where you go to get this mindset is you turn to your flesh. You turn to the book of your flesh, second flesh, chapter 2, verse 11. So you go to your flesh, you talk to yourself, and this is what you say. You say, God is still working on me. And one day, I'll be all that he wants me to be. Because right now, nobody is perfect. And that's what I believe. So, Pastor, I believe in abundant life, but I got about 10% of it right now. Because nobody's perfect. Pastor, I believe Jesus died on the cross to make me born again, but I'm only about 40% born again. And that's honestly what people in this church have believed and believe now. Almost all your friends out there, when you talk about Christianity, this is what they would believe. As a matter of fact, if we just cropped out progressive salvation and just showed you this bar and this thing and took out the fleshly reference, so we just had this, and God is still working on me. One day I'll be what he wants me to be because nobody's perfect. That would be a mind passed around Facebook right now, and everybody would be like, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, he's still working on me. Oh, yeah, he is. That's how everybody would be in the mind. So they'd be passing that thing around. God's still working on me. God's still working on me. But is that what the Bible says? Does the Bible say that there's an intermediate ground between life and death? Does the Bible give you the, inf- the, the idea that you're born again slowly over 20 years? When you look at the Bible, look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You tell me what you think it means. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is the new is, the new is here. Thank you. So you want to know what it's like? Download, boom, being done. You start Christianity at the finish line. Some of you are looking to have salvation as a finish line. Your calling is a finish line, a race you rent to live your life day by day, doing what God called you to do, but you don't have to wait to get to heaven to see if you're saved. As a matter of fact, that is an Islamic point of view. It's also a Hindu point of view. For example, when you hear people say, well, I'm better, I I have more good things than I do bad things, or, you know, my good outweighs my bad. That is a Muslim concept of judgment. The Muslim believes on judgment, their life will be held up before Allah and scales will be there. They have a demon assigned to them and an angel. That's what you've seen in the cartoons. That is not a Christian concept. That is a Muslim concept. There's a demon here and an angel there. Demon's on the left. The angel is on the right. They will then present the works before Allah. The demon, all that he got the, the, the person to do will be placed upon that side. All that the good, the angel got him to do, will be placed on this side. If his good outweighs his bad, he'll be accepted into paradise. That is an Islamic point of view. That is a false point of view. That is not the Christian point of view. Is, uh, Hinduism has the point of view that through life cycles, through karma. See, we think karma is something cute that, oh, you know, that's karma. No, karma is a devastating, hellish cycle that you continue to go through birth and death, birth and death, until you perfect yourself and become God, one, with the light, or, or um, with Brahma, which is nirvana. That is also antichrist. That is anti-God. That is satanic to the core. Not satanic like 666 and these people are witches. What I'm saying is when Satan came himself and spewed his lies in the garden, it was we could become our own God. We could do it our own way. We would know good from evil. Our eyes would be open, as he said. But this is not salvation according to the Bible. Salvation according to the Bible is an all or nothing thing. Either you have it or you don't have it. Either you have been given the new nature of Christ or you are under the nature of wrath, damned with 
the devil and his angels. You are either a part of the devil's kingdom being robbed, stolen from, and destroyed, or you are in God's kingdom experiencing his new life. You have to decide today, how will I apply the teachings of Jesus? Will you falsely apply them to your life in a progressive manner that gives you an excuse to live 10% for Jesus and 90% for the devil? Or will you accept that salvation is total and complete in Christ and declare the new has come, my old has gone, I am a new creation? That's what your choice is. And so to help you with that, I have made the second chart. How many are ready for the second chart? Thank you. Now, the second chart is going to help you to decide which one you believe. Because you can easily shout me down here and go, well, you know, that pastor, he, he might know more than I do, so I'll just say I believe in complete salvation and we'll just move on. No, because it matters nothing what you say here. You're just playing make-believe. Make-believers don't get their lives changed. Make-believers throw coins into wishing wells and wish for things to change. People who have faith move mountains. This is going to determine, do you have faith in God or do you have faith in another system, a false, antichrist, satanic system of salvation? Let me help you. Progressive salvation, number one, focuses on self-effort. You're going to go to the religious gym and work out on your good works. You're going to change yourself. You're going to go light candles under a bridge there and, and pray to a saint. You're going to try to do more, do more, do more, to be more. But complete salvation focuses on Jesus' work. He died so I could live. He rose again so that I could live with him. Jesus died for my sin so I no longer would live on sin. In sin. You see, the one who believes in progressive salvation focuses on themselves. The other focuses on Jesus. Number two, the progressive person focuses and makes little of the gospel while the complete person makes big of the gospel. See, when I talk to people who live in sin and make excuses, they say things like, well, I tried it. It didn't work for me. And they make the gospel look weak and powerless. Like, oh, I don't know about that gospel. I have to add a little bit of 12-step program into my life. And i got to read some self-help books because, you, know, you know, the gospel alone won't do it. And I just have to say, you've never tried the real gospel. You've never tried the real gospel. The gospel is what changes lives. I didn't take 12 steps. It was one step to Jesus. Never did drugs again. I didn't go to Sex Addicts Anonymous. Jesus Christ came into my heart, and I didn't have sex for 10 years until I met my wife. Jesus Christ changes people by the power of the gospel. The first thing Jesus ever said to people who wanted to follow after him was this. Deny yourself, not help yourself. Deny yourself, take up your cross, that means consider yourself dead to your own effort, and now you follow me. You mean, Jesus, i got to deny myself? I want to help myself. I want to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. God goes, you've already made a mess of yourself. Some people want to be self-made. You'll be a self-made mess. They make little of the gospel. Those who have complete salvation make big of the gospel. Progressive salvation, people enjoy sin. They enjoy the sin. They may not admit it here today that they enjoy sin, but they actually do because they don't do what it takes to accept Christ for who he is. They make excuses for their sin. The ones that are completely saved enjoy righteousness. How many people here enjoy righteousness? How many have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that it's the goodness of the Lord? You see, when I first got saved, somebody didn't have to sit me down and go, Pastor, you, you see, drunkenness, or I wasn't a pastor, but Joe, you know, Joe, drunkenness is really bad. No, no one explained that to me. I went to one party after being saved, and that was the last party I ever went to because it was literally being in a garbage dump, and I had already tasted heaven the night before. And I said, I don't want anything to do with this. My life had changed. Has anybody here ever been saved before? Sometimes I wonder when I'm talking to you guys as if I'm just here talking about one man being saved. Is anybody else here saved? Did anybody else here ever experience Jesus like that? Did you ever experience an enjoyment of righteousness and a hatred towards sin? 
Some of you struggle with this, though, so i got to keep preaching. The people who believe in progressive salvation misuse God's grace to continue to live holy, unholy. So the idea is, well, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And what they use the grace of God for is a get-out-of-jail card, and they desire not to change. But the one who believes in complete salvation lives holy by God's grace. You see, if I'm a tightrope walker and I have a net underneath me, the net underneath me empowers me to give it my all to get to that other side. It doesn't make me want to keep jumping off the tightrope into the net like, wee, this net is so bouncy. Wee, no, no, did we come here to bounce on a, tight, uh, a, bounce on a net or did we come to walk across the tightrope? The one who trusts Christ for their salvation says, I know there's grace if I sin, but that grace empowers me not to sin. I'm okay if I do, Christ will forgive me, but I won't live in it, enjoy it, make excuses for it. The other one justifies their sin by comparison. Well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You should meet my cousin. Pray for my cousin, Pastor. They really need Jesus. You see, those kind of people always compare themselves to people worse than them, but they don't understand that the judgment of God is not in comparison to Hitler. The judgment of God is by the perfect blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. How do you compare to, the, how do you compare to Jesus? So what does the other one do? Repents quickly. I messed up. That wasn't like Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. No excuses. No justification. Well, you know what? Some pastors steal out the offering, but I don't only every now and then. Do you think I'm a good pastor? Hello. Well, some pastors have two girlfriends on the side. I only have one. No. See, the person who believes that God has not really saved them continues to justify their sin by others. The other one quickly repents because they see who they are to Christ, and they go, I'm not like you, and when I do that, I'm, honey, I, I argued with you. I went up to pray, and God told me I wasn't like him. Children, when I yelled at you, I wasn't like the Father. Forgive me. I want to be a God. I want to be a godly father like God our Father. The other one neglects God's word because they see God's word no different than a magazine, no different than Oprah Winfrey's self-help mimes or memes that come online. God's word is just a cute little book that helps me every now and then feel better. So they neglect the power of it, whereas the true believer abides in God's word. God's word is the lamp unto their feet. God's word is the foundation on which they build their life on. And everybody see this. When Jesus gave the parable of the man who hears the word, he says one hears it and does what it says. He builds his house on a rock. One hears it and doesn't do what it says, that's like building your house on the sand. See, Jesus said, you determine the house you build, the life you have. One abides in it and builds on it, the other one neglects it. And guess what? Both of them had storms come, but the only one who built, the, the only, only the one who built on the rock lasted through the storms. Number seven, the other one is powerless. The progressive person through salvation, they're actually powerless against sin and temptation. Sin is always defeating them. They're in a repeat, defeat, repeat, defeat. Imagine on your, your, your phone here, you're listening to iTunes. You put on repeat. You play that same song. That's what they're on, defeat, defeat, defeat. They've been trying to get free from that same thing for ten years. They're still not free. But what happens in the complete salvation person? They defeat sin and temptation with the word of God. Every time temptation comes, they stand with the word of God. They don't make excuses. They live in power. The other one gives the devil too much credit. Oh, the devil made me do this. The devil's be messing with me. The devil's all of this. No, the other one considers the devil already defeated. You remember the devil, he came to steal, kill, and destroy, right? You guys remember that? But look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. So is the devil destroying you, or did Jesus destroy the devil? It's your choice in your life. What happened? Is the devil still destroying you, or has the devil's work been destroyed by Jesus? The one who does what is sinful is of the, see, am I helping you understand what's of the devil? Have I helped you? To under, he's a liar, isn't he? He's a thief. 
He would love for you not to believe this message, wouldn't he? You could probably find 10 other churches and 10 pastors that will tell you it's not true, right? You could tell them I'll pay them 50 bucks to come to Veda right here on the pulpit too, right? Because I'm here today to tell you, expose it's a lie. Don't believe pastors who tell you lies. If I tell you a lie, you're going to believe it because I'm a pastor? Let, it all be, let God be true and all men a liar, right? The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. If a pastor is sinful, who is he of? If your grandma is sinful, what is she of? If the pope is sinful, what is he of? Okay, does everybody get that? Whoever is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. That's the life that they're given. They cannot go on sinning because they have been what? Born of God. They have been, past tense, born of God. Why can't I keep on sinning? Because I have a life, the life of God, 100% download, being started in life. And I cannot keep on sinning. God convicts me. If I do, I am a liar and I do not know Christ. Another, uh, in, in comparison, uh, once again, the progressive salvation person lacks true faith, but they're religious. Do you know that sinners love religion? Because religion is a part of the self-help effort, the good versus evil of man making his own decisions. The idea that you can achieve more points with God is a sinful idea. This idea is found in all major religions. It's found in all self-help book teachings because the idea is you are the author of your salvation. You determine what God will do for you, and that is so incorrect, my friends. When you do not have faith in Christ, you have nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, period. It's not Jesus plus your self-effort equals salvation. Jesus plus you going. No, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you put Jesus plus anything else, you now have nothing. Jesus plus your self-effort equals nothing. Jesus plus religion equals nothing. Are you listening to me? But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus spoke to a world that did not even exist and said, let there be light. Do you not think that Jesus can speak to your soul and say, let there be light? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's your Bible, friends. When you become born again, you are born of God. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. You are blessed with every heavenly blessing in spiritual places. You've been given everything you need for a godly life in him. You are a partaker in the divine nature. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. This is the Bible. This is the Bible. Be holy, for I am holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The idea is that we live by faith and we reject false religion. When you're sitting here today right now, you're hearing this, you may want to find people to agree with you if you believe in progressive salvation because misery loves company. Well, I went to church and you wouldn't believe what my pastor said. You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. What did he tell you? He actually said that when I was saved, I was really saved. And, and I just don't believe it. Huh? He, he, uh, yeah, he said when I was born again, I was actually born again, and I was supposed to live holy. Oh, my goodness, he did. He told you that? Oh, yeah, he actually told me that, that I was supposed to be holy like God is holy. Oh, my goodness. You know, no, doesn't he know nobody's perfect? Oh, no, he, he thinks that when Jesus said, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect, he actually thinks Jesus meant that. Oh, he does? Well, you better stop going to that church. I got another church you can go to that they just shout and holler the whole time, take your money, make you dance and feel better about yourself. Oh, you mean you got a church like that? Oh, yeah, I'll go there. I'll read that pastor's book. 
Why? Because I'm not expected to live in new life at that church or with that teaching. I'm able to keep on being a poor, suffering little sinner that never becomes a holy saint. You see, the one who has complete salvation loves correction, loves correction, loves accountability. It may not always feel good at the moment, but deep down inside, you know you love it. You know that you love when someone shows you the the plank in your eye, the speck in your eye, whatever, when they show the sin, and they do it out of love. How many of you have had people in love say, hey, you better be careful about this. Watch out with this. Guard your marriage with this. Shut this off here. Don't be alone with this person here. Be careful about going here. See, God loves us enough to correct us and rebuke us. The Bible says open rebuke is better than hidden love. The Bible says a fool hates correction, but the wise love correction. Number 11, they complain that they're weak all the time because there's this progressively getting saved. I'm only 10% saved, Pastor. How do you expect me to say no to all these temptations? I'm only getting this much saved. I only got this much Jesus in me, Pastor. It's so hard. Let me put it on Facebook how hard it is. It's so hard. Life is so hard. No, but those who are completely saved proclaim they are strong in Christ. They proclaim, though I am weak, I am strong in him. They say, though my flesh is weak, I will do the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. They say, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the power, the glory, and the power, uh, the, thine is the power and the glory and the honor forever. They say, I'm strong in Jesus. I can do all things. They take the word of God seriously and fight, as we've learned last month. They're cyn- now, lastly, the progressive salvation people, after they hear all of this, right? After they hear all of this, now they're cynical of others who claim to live holy. Psst, psst. You hear, Pastor? Pastor's saying he's holy. I bet you he's not really holy. I've met other pastors who said they're holy, and they're not holy. I've seen these televangelists. They do all this other stuff, and then they lie to the people and just get rich. You see, they become cynical. Now, I want you to understand this as you look at the Bible, what cynicism is really when you hear the teachings of Christ. It's mockery. Somebody say mockery. If you hear this today and you become cynical of me, your problem is not with me. Listen to me. Everybody look up at me. I love you. I'm going to smile because I love you. Listen, if you are cynical of this message, it's not my fault. Even if today I did one of the most craziest things you've ever heard about pastors doing, which a pastor actually did, have homosexual sex with a prostitute while doing crystal meth. If you heard that about me, that would not change this from being true because your cynicism is not against me, it's against the Bible. Because he said, he said, the thief comes stealing, killing, destroying. I've come, I've come, Jesus said, to give you life, enjoyable life, abundant life. That's either true or it's not. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish starting now, but have everlasting life starting now. Born again now. Jesus talked that way. He came to destroy the works of the devil. The kingdom of God is not of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. These are the things of God. If you are cynical today, my friends, you are cynical with God. Even if no one you ever knew lived it, you ought to live it. You ought to do your best to obey this word because this is the word we'll all be judged by. What if you're in the time of Noah and this whole entire city's going to hell and there's only two people in Denver going to heaven? You better get with those two people in Denver. You get my point. You just can't make the excuse. Everybody in Chicago does it wrong. Every pastor does it wrong. It doesn't matter. What did God say? Because if you don't do it his way, you're a mocker. You're a liar and a coward. And I'll show you that in just a minute. That would be a great scripture to read, right? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. 
or sit in the company of mockers. Well, I don't believe any of that stuff. Look at all them pastors. That's a mocker. Do not sit with them, but don't. Uh, but delight in the law of the Lord, who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Did you know that there was a highway of holiness? Did you know that? Can I hear somebody say highway of holiness? There is a highway of holiness, and which God has called us to walk on. It is that narrow way that Jesus talked about. Look at it in Isaiah chapter 35. It says, and a highway will be there. Because it says, don't walk with the wicked. Don't stand where they are. Don't sit where they are. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Are you a wicked fool? See, don't be a fool. Are you a righteous person? Are you holy? Well, then walk that way of holiness. Some people come to this church and they go, man, you guys are so casual. You're so fun. Does that mean you take sin like a joke? No, we don't. We take religion. We hate religion. We have nothing to do with religion. I'm not here to promote a religious philosophy. What I want to promote is what Jesus taught. What Jesus taught. Did Jesus tell me to, to dress up in a robe like mother and call, call myself father? Show me where Jesus said there was a dress code for priests. And I'll tell me where Jesus told me to be a priest. Tell me. Show me. You got a Bible. Show me after service. And I'll do it. Are you listening? Show me where it says I have to confess my sins to a man, and I'll, and I'll have you start telling me your naughty secrets. Hello. But until then, you confess to God, right? Tell me where God told me to tell you that you're not saved until you get to heaven so that now on this earth, you've got to earn your way up there. Now start teaching you how to do spiritual aerobics. You see, I'm teaching you what the Word says. And see, this is, this is the thing. Many people are cynical of this because they don't see it work in their world. They don't see their friends who go to church change or their mom or dad who went to church. Listen, it doesn't matter. If your mom was eating fat all the time and you were a doctor, do you say, well, fat's good because my mom did it? Hello? Just because someone in your family did it, does that make it right? If your dad looked at pornography, does that make it right? Be honest with yourself. Call sin, sin, and then pray for those who are not living in holiness to be holy. Now, how many would like to see this in the Bible? Would you like to see it in the Bible? Hence the reason for the 14 scriptures. It's all throughout the Bible. I won't have you guys sit here and listen to it all because you can read this on your own. But, Rachel, would you come, please? In closing, just listen to some of these scriptures, would you please? And tell me if it makes sense to what you've heard today. Here's the promise of the prophet Ezekiel when Jesus would come. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That sounds like a pretty awesome promise, doesn't it? That sounds like a 100% download, doesn't it? Boom! I will transfer your heart. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow and be careful to follow and keep all my laws. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. So if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I, don't, I can't keep all the laws of God, then I, what am I going to say? Get the spirit in you. Get the life of God and he'll move you. That's a new life. It's not a new religion. It's not new self-help. It's the same one who breathed in us 2,000 years, uh, 6,000 years ago. Walked the earth 2,000 years ago. The spirit is here to breathe in you now. Give you a new heart. Come next week and I'll teach you how to live free. That's what next week's lesson is going to be on. Because I know we don't always do right. But the point is you're a new creation. 
my child is a Wyrostic, even though they don't always act like a Wyrostic. That doesn't change their identity. I'll teach you next week how to live according to your identity. It's called the free life. Here's a little scripture, John 8. Whoever knows my truth will be my... Um, he said to those who, Jews that believed in him, if you believe my word, you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John 8, 31 through 32. I will teach you how to live free, but you first need to know your identity. You cannot live free until you know your identity. Are you saved or are you not? If you are saved, live like it. He says, I'll put my spirit in you to move you. And you'll follow my decrees. And you'll be careful to keep my laws. Jesus said, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, I have that scripture here. Look at this. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Verily, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. John 15, 3, you are already clean. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. How many are set free from the law of sin and death? And that's what some of you were, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. You were, it says some of you were homosexuals, some of you were adulterers, liars, all these things. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What am I in God? The righteousness. Ephesians 2.8-10, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's not from your good works. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. He worked it out and completed us, created, past tense, in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared that in advance that we should walk in them. When did I become God's workmanship? When I got saved. When did I become God's masterpiece? When I was saved. When did you become God's masterpiece, brothers and sisters? When you got saved. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in some things that you do. Is that what it says? So just be holy with the easy stuff. No, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You've heard the scripture, because of his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, promises of heaven, a new body. That's why we get our body back, y'all, because we're going to live upon the earth so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You know what that word literally means there, participate in the divine nature? It's a dance. I am dancing with the Holy Spirit through life having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how much sin? All sin. 
1 John 2, 5-6, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You've heard this one already in closing. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. They cannot go on living uh, sinning. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Can I show you this? It's, it's an intense verse. Some of you have heard it here already. But I want to share it with you with the heart of joy. With the heart of joy. Why? Because it shows us that there's a death and there's a life. There's a death and a life. Revelation talks about what it looks like when we get our new body and live on this earth with Jesus. But it also teaches us if we have not received that life, where we go. And it says that we will suffer eternally in the, sec in the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Excuse me, in uh, Revelation chapter 20. Look at it right here, please. Revelation chapter 20. Look at this. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. Revelation 20, 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. See, that's hell. See, hell is giving up their dead. And each person was judged according to what they had done. This is where self-help religion goes. It goes to judgment. You're judged by your works. The Christian is judged by faith. If you're saved, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're judged by what Christ does. But if you do not have faith in Christ and his true, complete salvation, and you've tried to do it yourself, you'll be judged by every jot and tittle. Now then, death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the what death? The second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into where? The lake of fire. Now, Jesus said, I have come to give you life. You want to see what it looks like at the end? Look at what it looks like at the end. After they've gone to their second death, where do we go? It is done, Jesus says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, these who didn't believe this, the vile, the murderers, along with those dirty people, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they'll be consigned to the lake of fire. This is the second death. But then he keeps going on. And then he says here, he goes, if I could just get this. See, I got uh, I'm stuck right here. Please forgive me. It's so powerful right here. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the last plagues came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. See, we were prepared for glory. We were given life to be with God. As we feel His presence inwardly, one day we'll be able to touch Him physically and be in His presence forever. And He carried me away in the Spirit. And now watch. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven above, 
The new Jerusalem is a city of God's people. We were up there during the time of judgment, but now we're coming down with our new bodies. And it's shown with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like the very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystals. They had 12 walls, and all of these wonderful things are happening there. And then look at what happens as he gets down to the end here. Look at what he talks about when it comes to life. It says, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought to it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful and deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And you see this right here? What does this word say here? Oh, man, Lord, help me. What is that? Oh, where did that sashy thing go? There we go. What does it say here? Eden what? See, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the water of life. And it says, down the middle of this great street of the city, on each side the river stood the tree of life. That was the tree we couldn't eat from after we sinned. Otherwise, we would live eternally damned. That tree of life is placed back in the garden. Now it's restored, bearing these fruit. We eat it, and the leaves are the healing of the nation. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve them. He continues to share, and I'll just go right on down here to the end. I wish I had time to read it all. Now look at what he says right here. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of and may go through the gates into the city. The question that I want to ask you today in closing is, do you want to receive that new life today so that you can live forever in New Jerusalem with God, eating from the tree of life, touching physically Jesus Christ, drinking physically the Holy Spirit's river. Because today, that new life that Jesus gives at salvation today is abundant, overflowing, and powerful. And no one who receives it can ever be the same again. All the old passes away, and behold, the new has come. One day the world will see what God did on the inside of us. But right now, it needs to start in here. Amen? Could we just have an attitude of prayer as the altar workers and band comes? Would you just close your eyes in an attitude of prayer, however you can focus on God right now, and simply just ask yourself this question. Have I received by faith complete salvation? Be honest with yourself. Have you received salvation? Now, there's two types of people that would say no to that. The first ones who have just never done it, and then those who have done it but did it wrong. For both of those groups right now, would you simply say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin and come into my heart and make me new. Start a new life in me. And for the rest of us here, as they're praying... For those of us here would say, Joe, I believe it. I believe I'm completely saved. I know that the finish line was completed in my life. I, I got saved. I, I was born again. Would you now begin to thank God and ask him to guard your heart from ever wandering from this path? The Bible says even if a righteous man falls seven times, they'll get back up. Why? Because they're, they're truly righteous. Even if they mess up, they, in their heart, they still want God.
And I want you to do that because that's what I'm going to do right now for these next few moments is just make sure as others are accepting Christ that we would make sure that we would walk with Christ and thank Him for it and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought and and start living now in our own self-effort and think, look at all the good that I've done. Like after I get done preaching here, like, wow, that was awesome. You see that message? You see what God did? Whoa, look what I did. And I start now taking the credit for what God did, right? Because have pastors fallen? Yes. If an angel from heaven can fall, we can fall. But I want to keep salvation. I want to Walk in salvation. You ever heard the term working out your salvation? That literally means working from salvation. Just like Ephesians says, you were not saved by good works, but after you're saved, you are Christ's workmanship to do good works. So both groups right now, come on, if you need to accept Christ into your heart, would you do so in prayer? As Rachel and I begin to sing, I surrender all. And if you're here today as a Christian and you're saying, man, okay, I get it. But I want to make sure I finish, continue. I want to, I want to end how I started. I don't want to miss it, mess it up. That's a good place to be right now. Let's just pray. Come on. And I surrender all to Jesus. At his feet I humbly bow. Pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. Unto Jesus I surrender all to Him, my free. Can you put up the words, please? I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily. I'm going to sing the second verse. Son, to Jesus. Come on, you all keep praying. I surrender humbly pleasure, worldly pleasures, all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now, I surrender, and I surrender, are you praying and meaning it today, come on, and I surrender, Would you stand up with us as we sing the third verse together now in an attitude of prayer? And all to Jesus. Come on, if you love Jesus, sing it out with us. If you're surrendering all, Savior, thank Thee, Holy Vine. Let me feel, let me feel the Holy Spirit true. 
Come on, from the beginning, just of that verse, all to Jesus and all to If you mean it today, sing it out. I surrender, make me Savior, holy vine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit truly know that. Before we sing that fourth verse, scroll it up, please. But would you all look up at me in an attitude of prayer? Do you understand why I, as a pastor, preach this with so much passion? It's because the character of God is at stake. When I meet people and they say, I tried it and it didn't work, that, that's what makes me go, hey, no, 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 you didn't try the right thing. It always works. God always works. Do you guys get it? And what I love about a lot of these old songs is that that's the, the point of view they were singing from. And so I want you to see this fourth verse. Highlight it for us, please. Because I want you to hear the heart of Charles Wesley and what he's saying here in this fourth verse. What he says, uh, uh, he says, All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. And so what he's really saying is if I'm saved, I'm going to know that I'm saved. I'm going to know that I've been changed. So let that blessing fall on me. And then the last verse, which is my favorite, look at it. He goes, all to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Now I feel it. Oh, the joy for you guys to get excited about. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to His name. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you so much, God. May I never forget. Come on. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Man, come on. Full salvation. Complete salvation. We got to remember this is what it is, friends. It is or it's not. Come on. He either is the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He either can move the mountains or he never created them to begin with. He either can save you completely or he's a worthless martyr good for nothing. But if that man was God in the flesh and he died on the cross for our sins, he is risen from the dead and he is breathing life and full salvation into all of our spirits today, into all of our souls. Can I encourage you today, not rebuke you over sin, I mean, you can't get a sinner to live like a Christian by rebuking and rebuking them. Listen to me. That's like trying to walk on the water. When Peter was on the water, the only way he could walk across it was by faith in Christ. And it is that much harder to try to live holy without Christ. If you think you can live holy without Christ, try to walk on water because that's easier. Hello. No man can change himself. This is the true gospel. Christ alone changes you. He defies the nature of the flesh and gives you a divine nature. He gives us full salvation. And so as we sing these last two verses, would you sing it as your prayer today, believing I'm fully saved. And the old timers used to say it like this, I know that I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. I mean, we may not be all religious dancing like this today, but can we believe that we're really saved? And when people see us in the world, they'll see Christ in us, amen? And when we mess up, we'll say, hey, that wasn't Christ. That was me. I was wrong. I'm going to deny myself and repent and keep on living the life he gave me. Come on, help me somebody. And all to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give. Lord, I give my 
myself to thee. Fill me with, fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing, blessing fall on me. All to Jesus. Last verse. To Jesus. I wish I could sing it like I feel it. Come on. Woo! And now I feel. Come on, does anybody feel Jesus in this place? Oh, the joy. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory to his name. Would you give him a hand clap of praise if you believe it? We love you. You save us to the uttermost. You put one hand in the gutter and the other one in glory, and you brought us out, oh God. You took us out of the miry clay and set us upon the rock. Now I pray that we live it. As we get ready to close today, thank you for your patience. If you need prayer for anything, would you find an altar worker? Or if you just want to hang out at the after party, we're going to sing Jesus Center of it all. Feel free to hang out. There's workers here to talk with you, even in the cafe. But just know this today. There is full salvation for you. Paul got fully saved. He once was a murderer. Hello, and he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Peter, after he repented from denying Christ three times, he got fully saved and preached at Pentecost. Some of my favorite preachers came from the worst backgrounds you could imagine. My fa- one of my favorite preachers, Steve Hill, was a heroin-shooting drug addict. But he got saved and set the world on fire. You can do it, my friends. You can be the father God called you to be. You can be the mother, the worker, the, you know, the, the leader in your neighborhood. Let us do it with the glory of God. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Amen. We had church. We're going to sing. At, this is the after party. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Come up and get prayer from one of these great brothers and sisters. Have a great week. Would you start helping me sing Jesus be the center of it all? Come on. And Jesus be the center of it all. Rachel, uh, Stephanie, would you come and sing, please? In Jesus be the center. As you go, God bless you. We'll pray up here for as long as you need it. Ready to. But anyone who needs prayer, come on up. We'll pray for you.
Stephanie, keep singing from your heart, whatever the Lord gives you. What an amazing time today to hear about the life of God. Jesus' life makes all the difference. He transforms, he changes us. We go from glory to glory, but never from sin to glory, from sin to glory. It's always from glory to glory. From the place of salvation to another place of glory, to another place from salvation. No eye has seen, no ear has heard all that God has for us. But we need to trust Him. We need to say, I am who God said I am. I can do what God said I can do. So let's sing it one more time, but this time let us say, be the center of the church. Jesus, be the center of the church. We could say this church, right? And Jesus, be the center of this church. From beginning to the end, it's always been, it's always been you, Jesus. Come on, one more time. Be the center of this church. And Jesus, be the center of this church. We need you, God. We need you. Jesus, be the center of this church. to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus does anybody else want prayer just as we're up here for these last few moments in the after party let us pray for you let us pray that the eyes of your heart will be open 
that you'll know the power of God in Christ Jesus today. Because you see, Rachel, that is the prayer of Paul. Would you put up Ephesians chapter 1 for me, please, uh, Jose? For those who are praying, keep praying. But I want to show you the prayer of Paul. Can I show you that? Because how do you pray for people who already have everything that Christ gave them, right? It's like that old thing with Father's Day. How do you get your father who has everything? Well, this is how we pray. Scroll on down a little bit. You'll see when he starts praying. Keep on going. He'll say, I pray, I pray. For this reason, there you go. Thank you, Stephanie. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, look what he says here. See, loving God and people, right? I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayer. So the first thing he does is he always thanks God for those who are saints, for those who are truly saved. So that's how he would pray, is thanking God. But now what he look what he keeps asking. And this is what I'm asking for Stephanie. This is what I'm asking for Rachel. Pray this over my life too. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. And what did Jesus say life was in John 17? He said, this is life, that they may know you and the one you sent. Hello. So life is in us. And Paul is saying, I pray you know it more by knowing Jesus more. Because Jesus gives the life. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Continue to scroll, please in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. Holy people. And what kind of people? Holy people. In his holy people. Go back there, brother. Thank you. In his holy people. So our prayer should be, God, show us what you've already done in us. Open up our eyes. Let us know Jesus. Let us know you more. Now watch. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. believe. So the power of the new life is in those who believe. So I pray, Paul's saying here, that you will know that power more. That power is the same as the mighty strength. Follow along, good sir. Thank you that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. So he's saying, I pray that you know resurrection power, as he said in Philippians 4. Go back up, sir. You're moving too quickly, please. Go back up a little bit more. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. See, that's what we call resurrection life power. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, please. So for those of us that love to pray, after party, after party, you know, we come up here. What are we praying? We're not having pity patty parties. Oh, God, forgive me. I'm not living up like I should. I keep messing up. No. Repentance should be short and sweet. It should be right to the point. Lord, I messed up. Forgive me. But there's no condemnation. I'm moving on, right? Now keep scrolling down, uh, Philippians, please. Keep scrolling down. Philippians chapter 3, that's what I asked for, sir. 
Philippians chapter, is that not what I said? Okay, I just want to make sure sometimes I forget. Philippians 3. Now look at what he says here. Raise up just a little bit. Let's go to verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, and I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on that basis. So you're righteous in Christ through what? The basis of uh, faith. That's right. Keep going. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Now, why would Paul want to die? The reason why Paul wants to die is so he can get his new body. And he's saying Christ was crucified for sin. I will die because of sin, and I can't wait to do that because I'll do it with Christ and raise. And look at what he says. If you don't believe me, look at verse 11. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Right? Not that I've already obtained all this or or have already arrived at my goal. I'm not raised from the dead yet. But I press on to take hold of that which has Jesus Christ has taken hold of me. So what are we praying up here? What are we going after God for at altar calls and stuff? What we're saying is, God, I want to know your resurrection power. Because until I get my new body, I'm suffering a death here. The death of disease, corruption of my flesh, my eyesight's going bad, my hair falls out, I lose memories, right? I'm I'm going through these things, Jesus, and I want to know you. And I want to know the hope that's in you. That when it's finally said and done and my earthly breath leaves me, that the breath of God lives on. And then one day gets housed in a new body, or as Paul said, a new tent. So what is the new life? It's a spiritual life that then impacts the eternal physical life. And what should our prayer be? God. I want to know that life. I want to know you more. I want to know the life more. I want to know the power more. Because I believe. I believe. So let no one here leave out the same way they came. Let us all leave out of here living and breathing the new life. The breath of God is in our souls today. Would you like to pray something like that? Oh, Lord, you are so good.